Hey, have you applied to speak at Voice Summit yet? Applications are open until March 31st. So if you have something to say about voice, go to voicesummit.ai and click on apply to speak to be considered. Go ahead. What are you waiting for? Apply now. Studies have shown that voice-only communication enhances empathetic accuracy relative to communication across senses. On this episode, you'll hear Rana Gujaral, the CEO of Behavioral Signals, who was also named one of 10 entrepreneurs to follow in 2017 by the Huffington Post and an AI entrepreneur to watch in Inc. Magazine. Listen as he talks about why voice-only communication is so accurate, how his company is focusing on the how of what's being said instead of the what, how machines can be emotionally intelligent, plus how his company is helping businesses create better experiences for its users. Hi, Inside Voice podcast listeners. This is your host, Carrie Roberts. And today my guest is Rana Gudral, the CEO of Behavioral Signals. Welcome, Rana. Thanks for being here. Hi, Carrie. Thanks for having me on the Inside Voice podcast. It's a real pleasure to be a guest on your show. I want to start off with a recent study that was done by Michael Krauss of Yale University. And his research contended that the voice, including both speech content and the linguistic and paralinguistic vocal cues, meaning pitch, cadence, speed, and volume that accompany it, is a particularly powerful channel for perceiving the emotions of others. And so he wrote that this assertion supports the central prediction tested in these studies that voice-only communication enhances empathetic accuracy relative to communication across senses. Can you speak to this at all? Why are we able to detect more empathy through voice? Yeah, for sure. So first off, voices are a very powerful measure of deducing the emotional state of mind, more so than people understand. And this study in particular by Professor Krauss is incredibly interesting. So let's talk a little bit about what he actually did. So basically, he took a video feed of an interaction, and obviously there was audio as well. And he turned the video off. He just tried to measure the emotion based on simply the audio alone, and he benchmarked that first. And he then turned the video back on and realized that you're looking at two data points. You're looking at the audio, but you're also looking at the facial expressions, and you would expect that the read on emotions would uh, become way more accurate. But what he found was that it became actually less accurate. And he was really surprised by that. And that's sort of the thesis of the study. And so that was sort of the whole study, which made him think, why is it that when I'm looking at both the visual and the audio, I'm actually getting a lesser read than when I'm looking at just the audio. And so what he found was that as humans, we're very adept at masking our emotions through our facial expressions, but we're not really very good at doing the same through the tone of our voice. So if you're just queuing in on to the tone of the voice, which is just listening to somebody on the phone, you actually have a better read on the emotional state of mind than when you're looking at the person and listening to them. And the reason that is, is we send out a lot of false alerts from our facial expressions, and that throws us off. So although I'm sensing somebody something in someone's voice, the facial expressions tell me otherwise, and that's sort of the interesting part of this whole study. And so for us, the high-quality data is voice data and a variety of the use cases we apply ourselves into provide us with a lot of audio data like call centers or contact centers, including interactions with virtual assistants where there's no visual feedback available. So not only is it more accurate to focus on voice, but for us, 
there's more data available on voice versus visual data, and then it adds to the accuracy because data leads to a better outcome. And so those two advantages provide us with a compelling differentiation from competitors because we focus exclusively on voice, and that's kind of what we do. And the founders of this company have been researching the space for over 20 years. And so a lot of work has gone into the analysis of voice interactions, as well as the emotional and the behavioral state of mind behind the voice interactions. Yeah. And it's funny because when I read that study, this was actually not the first time I've heard someone tell me this. I had a psychologist yeah. tell me a few years ago that you mm-hmm. can actually, you get more honesty and more truth in a person from their voice than you do by seeing them, which brings mm-hmm. to the point, right? When you're talking to people, sometimes somebody's talking to you and you're like, I'm feeling this. And they're like, no, 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 that's not what I'm saying. But yeah. you're still getting a sense. You're like, wait, but something feels off. And I'm curious, like, do you think like that that is the truth? Like whatever you're feeling from someone else, or is that our own perception? No, I mean, I think your, your perception's accurate for the most part. Like the feeling which you are deducing uh, is based on a variety of factors. And I mean, your mind is processing the words, but there's a lot more processing that's going on behind the scenes. You're queuing off on the pitch and tonal variance, and you're queuing off on the emphasis behind certain words. So let's take a quick example. If I ask you a simple question and uh, you respond to me with a quick, simple response, but I sense sarcasm in your voice, I'm going to take that into consideration, right? Not just Mm -hmm. what you're saying, how you're responding to me, uh, what you're responding to me, but how you're responding to me matters to me a lot because I understand your state of mind or I get a sense of your state of mind and that cues into whether you mean what you're saying or not, are you relating to my point of view, et cetera, et cetera. So it's incredibly important. Yes, I am personally fascinated by this because I love this kind of psychology communication space With your company, Behavioral Signals, your team is answering the question, can machines be intelligent without emotions? What do you think about this and why? This is my favorite question because it's like, it's got so many different layers to this question. So I believe there are two parts to this question first. First is whether machines can really be emotionally intelligent. And the second part is whether they should be. And that's a question which I guess asked a lot. Is it ethical or is it, you know, from a morality standpoint, is that the right thing to do? So let's take those two, right? So for the first part, machines definitely can. I mean, one of the things that AI is focused on is getting machines to do things that humans are just better at doing today. But machines, software systems, inanimate systems, whatever you want to call them, they have their own superpowers. For example, they can process huge amounts of data and compute power can be dedicated to a specific task. But as humans, we are distracted by a lot of different things. So you have those capabilities in a machine that can be leveraged to bring intelligent use cases to a picture. And we're seeing now, what we're seeing now is we're interacting with machines more and more. And it's not just delegating a task for a machine to do, but actually interacting with the machine and talking to it. So for example, what we were talking about earlier, like when it comes to virtual assistants like Google Assistant, Alexa, Cortana, we're literally treating these inanimate entities as a human substitute. When we're interacting with machines through voice, we need to understand how we interact with all humans. And when I'm interacting with you, you're saying something to me and I'm saying something back. I'm not just cueing on what you're saying. I'm also cueing on how you're saying it and trying to empathize with your cognitive state of mind and your feelings your, or the emotions behind the words you're using. And so when, we're, when we go back to the whole equation with machines, I mean, that interaction is missing between a human and a machine. And as a result, a lot of these interactions don't really have a superior use case. They're just very transactional. And our goal is to provide the ability 
to these machines to be as good as humans when processing affect, which is you know what the technical term of emotion is, and the emotional state of mind so that they could be more relatable and have a much more user-engaged experience for the fellow human. And uh, it can be, and there's a need to be for machines to be emotionally aware. Now, let's tackle the should question, and that's a little bit more complicated. So in a way, this touches on morality, and I think morality is a tough question, and I don't know if I'm equipped to judge that personally. But I would say that with any technology, the morality is around proper disclosures and not making a choice on your behalf, right? So by giving you the choice to experience what you want and don't want, whether it serves the greater good or a one-sided purpose, if it is towards a one-sided purpose, then yes, you're tampering on morality. But if it's for a larger good, then you're in the right direction. But anything else, you need to have a sense of discipline to be able to understand those subtle differences. Let's think about one particular thing, right? So what we can bet on is that we are going to depend on machines more and more. And that is something which is a given. And the second thing that we can bet on is that machines are going to be more and more intelligent. And that's already starting to happen. But if you sort of agree to those two truths and you agree with those two truths in mind, would you then rather have a machine that you're interacting with and depending on, which is very, very intelligent, emotionally aware or not emotionally aware? And so that is the question we need to ask ourselves. So how would you respond to that human question in the human context? But if you think about that in the human context, I mean, if you have a human whom you depend on and who's very intelligent, but is not emotionally aware, well, that is the clinical definition of a psychopath. I mean, so would we want machine psychopaths? I wouldn't. I mean, I, in my opinion, an emotionally intelligent machine would typically be more ethical and fairer rather than a very intelligent machine you depend on, but who has no ability to process emotions. So that's how I feel. And uh, that's what we believe in. Again, I want to go back to kind of this psychology perspective. I actually met a few people recently that they had done their own testing and studies that some people felt more comfortable talking to a device or a machine about what was going on with them or expressing something than a real person because they felt like they weren't going to be judged. And so when I heard that, I was like, that's a positive, like that's a great thing. But I'm curious, you know, as what you're talking about and as people kind of rely on machines a little bit more, I mean, how does this affect our mental health and our interaction with human beings? Does it enhance it? Does it hurt it? Or how does it change it? Yes, that's an important point. First off, I mean, emotional intelligence is actually a very complicated science. And as I said, the right technical term is affect. And so we as humans project out a lot of affect signals in terms of how we're feeling, whether it's passion, anger, or sadness. And then there's also a bunch of behavioral signals which are translated from the emotional cues, which are, say, am I engaged or am I disengaged, etc. And so when you talk about affect and emotional signals, We project that through a variety of different cues as humans. We do it through our facial expressions, our body language, by saying something, or at times by not saying anything. And also, very importantly, by the tone of our voice. That emotion is like a mental state associated with the nervous system, brought on by chemical changes, variously associated with thoughts, feelings, behavioral responses, etc. And so our particular focus as a company has been around deducing emotions exclusively from the voice aspect of speech. And the way we do it is through our focus on tonality and not just on what you're saying, but how you're saying it and the emphasis behind the words and the specific pitch and the focus around how you're emphasizing a few things. So if you're talking about interactions, right? So the voice emotion analytics is extracting emotions from voice or a spoken interaction directly. 
and independent of what is being said. And the success of those interactions are measured at the application level, right? So for example, was the user satisfied by the interaction after using, and we apply our capabilities in a variety of different use cases, right? So it could be in a virtual assistant setup, it could be a call center, contact center setup where there's a human-to-human interaction happening. And so for example, in that setup, did the call center manage to improve its KPI by employing its solutions? And at the core technology level, the accuracy is measured on separate recordings of interactions. And these interactions have been reviewed by experts who have specifically identified any occurrences of human behaviors. And we typically have multiple experts that weigh in to sort of measure that aspect of accuracy. I mean, I think uh, a part of the question also touched on, is it going to enhance that experience in terms of uh, interacting with machines? I think absolutely it will, right? Because if you are looking to, I mean, the promise of voice interactions with our inanimate systems, and that's quite spread out, right? So we're talking to our phones, we're talking to our laptops, we're talking to our cars, and because that's a more and most natural, intrinsic way of interaction for a human is to talk to something not to touch, not to push a button, but talk to it. And so we're talking to machines, but it's a very one-sided transactional sort of an interaction where we're giving commands and we're expecting that machine to do a command. We're not really having a dialogue. We're not really having a conversation. And But that was the promise of these virtual assistants, right? So when virtual assistants came to the scene, it's like, well, this is going to be a sidekick. This is going to be a substitute of your assistant, essentially. Or it will be a care provider. It will be somebody who will give you company when your loved ones are not around. You could talk to it. You could tell it how you feel. But the problem is, it's not quite working that way because that other side, that inanimate system, has become really, really accurate, first off, in deducing what I'm saying because the speech-to-text and NLP has progressed tremendously. And it has vast amounts of compute power because it's a computer. So it's like an encyclopedia. So I can answer any question and it can search for it and process that and give me the response. All of that is fine and dandy, right? But it's not able to relate to how I feel. And if I can't relate to how I feel, those responses are very transactional. And so it can't really hold a conversation because you and I and humans don't talk in a transactional form. I mean, we go in tangents and there's small talk and et cetera. For that, you need to understand the context and the state of mind. And that's where sort of this whole, I mean, what I'm seeing is that there was tremendous advancements, right? And voice and then Alexa and Siri and Google Home came along. But where are these multi-billion dollar projects right now? That promise hasn't really happened yet. And it's because that missing piece, which is, you know, having that ability to understand the state of mind is missing on the machine side. And as a result, those interactions and those experiences are very, very lacking. And I think that's sort of the next frontier, which is like getting it to a point where you're actually holding a conversation with the machine and it doesn't have to be about a particular agenda. You're just talking and you have a good time talking. Yeah, and it was funny. I was just at a voice tech event recently and uh, I asked people why they got into voice and a lot of them said because they wanted to be like Star Trek. So <laughs> I think that's, yeah. that's our, our thought in our head to have that assistant, like you said, how we've seen it so many years ago on TV. How did this company, Behavioral Signals, begin? What are the backgrounds of the co-founders? Why did they get into this space? And then can you tell us a little bit more about how they're actually getting AI to read the emotions through voice? Well, we're born out of research and a passion to bring the groundbreaking speech to emotion and speech to behaviors technologies to market. A company was founded in 2016 out of USC and sales research labs. And our emotion AI algorithms can analyze human emotions and behaviors in voice, transforming that data into usable and actionable information. And we use this 
as a tool to help businesses and professionals make better decisions and achieve higher performances. At the core of sort of how we do this, we deduce intelligent and actionable insights from conversations using third-gen analytics, which is largely focused on tonality. And that goes far beyond the text analysis. And so if you think about human communication, it's a very complex process that depends on words being spoken as well as how they're being expressed. And so we excel at distinguishing signals, emotions and behavior signals in speech data with, with our technology. And we do it by capturing acoustic cues, intonations and other interaction signals. And then we apply those capabilities towards very specific KPIs and business insights that we go after. One way to think about also how we're bringing this to market and how we're different is if you look at sort of the traditional NLP, the natural language processing engines out there, or the voice interactions offering that you see out there, they focus mostly on what is being said. And we introduce the ability to understand how something is being said in addition to the what part. And we then use these capabilities towards a few different parallel tracks. The first track is augmenting human-to-human interaction and delivering new use cases and KPIs that optimizes these interactions, such as sales acceleration tools, first call optimization. These are sort of the things that really are the touch points at contact centers, essentially, and real-time feedback for agents and behavioral coaching, etc. In addition to all this, we also take the dynamics of human-to-human interaction and we model that out within the human-to-machine interactions. And so these use cases are then within the sort of the realm of emotionally and socially aware inanimate systems. One of the additional cool things that we've done is uh, the prediction engines and where we are predicting business outcomes such as propensity to pay or propensity to buy, etc. And so can you share with us any use cases or skills that are currently using your technology? Yeah, for sure. There's a variety of different use cases and skills that we go after. Some of those things I said I mentioned, like so for example, when you're looking into the human-to-human dynamics, some of the big wins are around, let's take an example. Let's say if you're an agent, which is speaking to a client, you certainly have an ability to understand what the client's saying. You also have an ability to get a sense of how the client's feeling. But if you are a typical contact center agent, you are taking your 100th call of the day at the tail end of the day, and uh, you know, you're tuning out all of those signals that you should naturally process. So if you had an agent helper, if you had an AI helper on the side that's sort of guiding you as the conversation's happening dynamically and saying, hey, you seem to be talking too fast, or you seem to be talking too slow, or you sound disengaged, or your client sounds disengaged, or you just said something and there is a definite difference uh, in engagement level of the client, it could have gone from negative to positive or positive to negative. And those cues, as the conversation's happening, are incredibly powerful towards sort of getting the best outcomes and optimizing those first call interactions. So that's sort of things we could do. Now, the other things we help with is specifically looking at the reason behind what leads to a good outcome and a bad outcome and sort of deep diving into certain things that do work and don't work, and then using those as capabilities to train and coach and uh, get better outcome. You could use those same capabilities to optimize your audit process, et cetera, as well. And so there's many different use cases around coaching and uh, behavioral mapping, et cetera, that we go after. So yeah, I mean, those would be some of the examples. 
I love this topic. I think it's great that you guys are exploring so much of the how something is being said because we need that in a human interaction, but now certainly in a machine interaction as well. If people want to learn more about what we talked about, more about the company or want to connect with you, where can they do that? Yeah, for sure. So the best way to learn about what we do would be to visit our webpage. That is www.behavioralsignals.com. It's B-E-H-A-B-I-O-R-A-L signals.com. And you can also directly reach out to me at my email. It's my first name, Rana, at behavioralsignals.com. Or connect with me on Twitter or LinkedIn. While we have a specific set of focus areas that are more driven towards the human-to-human perspectives, which are very well understood and solve very tangible business problems, we're also very much a research-oriented company. So half of our company is researchers and PhDs and scientists. And so with that, We have a firm goal of pushing the boundaries of the tech, and we're always looking for interesting use cases. And we're working with academia, we're working with engineers, we're working with other research institutes, which are solving for the fringe case, and they're solving for unique problems that may not necessarily have a commercial implication or opportunity, but they're worth solving for. And so we love to engage with them and talk with them and help them maybe even use our capabilities and technology. We have a program where we make our technology available for free for them for non-commercial use. If you're working on voice and if you're looking at maximizing insights from voice and conversations, whether it's human to human or human to machine, uh, we'd love to talk to you. And so definitely reach out. Wonderful. And the last question we like to ask on this show to help promote voice as a whole is, is there a flash briefing or voice skiller experience that you're currently using and enjoying right now? Yeah, for sure. So our core focus first off has been around delivering this platform that deduces emotions and behaviors. And what we've also done is now taken specific behavioral cues and built some very, very specialized intent prediction engines. And those are the things that we're very, very excited about. So for example, what we're working with a client, which is a leading player in the speech analytics business, and they operate heavily in the debt collection market. So we worked on building a prediction engine where just by listening, simply analyzing a 10 to 15 minute voice conversation, we were able to predict with over 82% accuracy if a debt holder is going to pay their debt or not. And that prediction was made within the first, I'd say, between 30 to 60 seconds of listening to the conversation. And uh, keep in mind, there's no privacy concern because we have no access to CRM. We have no access to any of the other core private pieces of information. All we know is there's this two participants. One is a debt holder, one is a debt collector. And we can predict after getting a read of the state of the mind of the debt holder, what action the debt holder is going to take in the near future. And that was found to be 82% accurate. I mean, it's almost essentially predicting what will happen in the future based on processing that voice conversation. And that's been a groundbreaking capability that we're bringing to market. And we're very excited about that. And uh, we're getting a lot of success with that. Great. Well, thank you so much for being here, Rana, and kind of bringing to fruition this kind of newer idea of really focusing not just on what we are saying or machine is saying, but really the how. So thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for inviting me, Carrie. I really enjoyed the show. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Inside Voice podcast. We greatly appreciate you being a part of our community. And if you enjoyed this episode or you like the podcast, we would love it if you would subscribe, follow, like, share, leave a review of the show. If you have any questions, comments, feedback, people you want to see on the show, things you want to learn, 
feel free to send us an email at kerry at modev.com. That's K-E-R-I at M-O-D-E-V.com. And be sure to check us out online at voicesummit.ai. Thank you. And we look forward to chatting with you next week.